think I buy any of this growth crap, man. Everybody's always talking about how bad experiences cause you to grow and all that cliched stuff, man. Harvey Pekar is a man of many callings. Critic, comic book writer, career file clerk, and world-class pessimist. And I had enough bad experiences and growth to last me plenty. Right now, I'd be glad to trade some growth for happiness. You can read all about those bad experiences, and a good one here and there, in American Splendor, Harvey's long-running underground comic book. You can also read about Harvey's love for jazz and books. Harvey, of course, is the main character of his comics, all of them set in Cleveland, Ohio. Like Harvey, they're pretty gloomy. Okay, this guy here, he's our man, all grown up and going nowhere. Although he's a pretty scholarly cat, he never got much of a formal education. For the most part, he's lived in neighborhoods, held jobs, and is now knee-deep into a disastrous second marriage. That's the real Harvey. Now there's a brand new movie about him, American Splendor, from writer-directors Shari Springer-Berman and Robert Polcini. It's sort of like Harvey's comic books, which are written by him but drawn by different people. The result is a composite Harvey on the page. On the screen, we have Harvey drawn by animators, Harvey played by the actor Paul Giamatti, and Harvey himself. In the next half hour, we'll hear from all of them in this close-up on Harvey Picar and American Splendor. I'm David Darcy. So if you're the kind of person looking for romance or escapism or some fantasy figure to save the day, guess what? You got the wrong movie. That's great. Okay, so now you got four pigs. You ought to be able to patch one together from there. (laughs) Right? Let's go to the next one. Did you actually read the script? No. That's Harvey Picar on the set of American Splendor from HBO Films. It won the Grand Jury Prize at this year's Sundance Film Festival and the International Critics Award at the Cannes Film Festival. But don't jump to any conclusions here about a new celebrity. Harvey still lives in Cleveland with thousands of books and records, the same place where he made a living for most of his life as a file clerk in a VA hospital. He had to eat writing jazz reviews and selling used records just didn't pay the bills. Our story of American Splendor begins back in the 1960s when Harvey, the lonely jazz critic, had already been dumped by two wives. If that wasn't bad enough, he was aching for a new way to express himself. He was going through bins of old records when he met Robert Crumb. Crumb's day job back then was illustrating Hallmark greeting cards, but in his free time, he drew experimental comics with weird characters who didn't look anything like Superman, Spider-Man, or Casper the Friendly Ghost. I had gotten sick and tired of comics at about the age of about 12. I think I outgrew most of them. When I saw what Crumb was doing, it occurred to me that you could do anything in comics that you could do in any other art form. At the time, comics were a way for kids to pass the time harmlessly and cheaply. Not too much violence, not too much sex, not too much reality. But nobody counted on Crumb or on Harvey Picar. There was a whole lot of stuff that hadn't been done in the comic form. So I decided that I would try and do some things like that that hadn't been done and some things that I thought hadn't been done enough in any art form, like dealing with everyday life, quotidian life. What Harvey wanted to do with comics to show everyday life in a true unsentimental way was the same thing that the writers he admired, like Emile Zola and Theodore Dreiser, had explored in literature at the turn of the century. 
Paul Giamatti and James Urbaniak play Picar and the not-yet-famous Robert Crumb in HBO Films' American Splendor. I figure, you know, the, the guys who are doing animal comics and uh, superhero stuff, they're really limited because they got to try to appeal to kids. And underground stuff like yours have been really subversive and it's opened things up politically, but there's still plenty more to be done with them too, you know? Pass the ketchup. <laughs> with words and pictures, it could be more of an art form. You know, like those, like those French movies are. Or, uh, with the Seagull over in Italy. Anyway, I just, I tried, uh, I tried writing some stuff about real life, you know, stuff that uh, the everyman's got to deal with. These are all about you? <laughs> yeah. You turn yourself into a comic hero. <laughs> <laughs> well, sort of, yeah, but this is the real thing, man. You know, ordinary life is pretty complex stuff. Harvey drew that complex stuff in stick figures. Crumb put huge women and anguished men in the frames, and in 1976, American Splendor was born. Greg Gritty Cleveland was a character, and of course so was Harvey the file clerk, observing everything. Harvey has a great ear for dialogue and, you know, recording the way people talk and managing to make it work in print on the printed page. Comic book writer Kim Deitch is author of Boulevard of Broken Dreams. I definitely think he was an influence on me, just watching the way the way he do certain things. Like, I remember one in particular, like, you know, the way people talk. Like, in one store, he's got this guy coming on to a chick, and he's going, what's your name, babe? And she's going, I'm not going to say. And he says, well, you look like a Linda to me. You know what? I'm going to call you Linda. And the, the way that he used that colloquial contraction, amo on the printed page. I'd never seen it done before, and I definitely made a mental note about it. Crumb kept on illustrating Harvey's stories about his job and the people around him and the women who wouldn't give him the time of day. Other artists from what, thanks to Crumb and Harvey, had become the underground comic scene also came on board to put Harvey and his Cleveland friends like Toby Ratloff from the VA hospital on the page. Judah Friedlander plays Toby in the film. Hey, Toby. Tell me something. Can you eat uh, lentils during Lent? Sure, I don't see why not. You can't eat meat on certain days, but lentils should be acceptable any time. Yeah. You think there's any connection between lentils and Lent? I don't think so, but I'll ask Sister Mary Fred at church on Sunday. Sister Mary Fred, huh? She cute? Sounds kind of mannish, but who the hell am I to be picky? Harvey, you're funny. She's a nun. So what, man? And maybe she became a nun because she couldn't get a guy. Harvey, she became a nun because she had a higher calling. Higher calling, man? You know, I don't even know why you bother praying anyway. I enjoy the ritual, and I'm a very spiritual person. You know, you should try believing in something bigger than yourself. It might cheer you up. What do we seem depressed, Toby? I met Harvey back in late 1980 when I first got hired at the VA hospital. That's the real Toby Radloff. 
Toby was at American Splendor's world premiere at this year's Sundance Film Festival. And Harvey and I got to become friends, and he started including me in some of the stories, the first being issue number nine, where I'm on the cover. That included the Lindels and Lent monologue. Did that conversation actually occur? Yes, it did. Yes, yes. you can eat lentils for yes. Lent, yes. I guess it's a commitment and a and a unwillingness to ever surrender your, your own passion just because it may be unpopular that I always found really inspiring in Harvey. Ted Hope produced the film American Splendor. Harvey, you know, really celebrated the small moments and, and was able to bring resonance to them in a way that made my own life richer when I could look and think about like this moment of connection that I felt with a stranger or somebody that I just happened to work next to or encounter in just my daily passings is really you know what life is about and his writing and books helped me recognize that. Yet the same Harvey Picar who celebrates those little moments is a pessimist curmudgeon who believes in the old Yiddish proverb, one lives and one suffers. Well, it ain't nobody's business. Yeah, yeah, mama. What we do? I'm not religious at all. Harvey Picar. But I've been strongly influenced by uh, Eastern European, well, by Yiddish culture. My parents both from Poland, and I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop and stuff like that. The reason I, I was always drawn to Harvey is Harvey's passion and voice is 100% his own. It doesn't try to appropriate other forms that are perhaps more popular. You know, it doesn't try to please. It's, it's really a commitment to show yourself and the things that you care about, warts and all, and to not hold back. Harvey does have his passions. Experimental fiction, the naturalistic novels of 100 years ago, and of course, jazz. He's been a jazz critic since he was 19. His interest has always been in telling the public about avant-garde and especially overlooked musicians, like Joe Maneri, who's featured on the American Splendor soundtrack. I first found out about clarinetist, saxophonist, pianist Joe Maneri in the mid-1990s when I got a demo copy of his recording, Get Ready to Receive Yourself. Joe is one of the most amazing musicians in the world. He quit school at the age of 14 because of a learning disability, but became a professional musician at that time and learned all about modern music. For many years, he taught full-time at the New England Conservatory, and his students loved him because he was such a warm, down-to-earth guy. He was just discovered in the 1990s and is currently one of the most innovative musicians in jazz, although he's 76 years old. Harvey's many things, but he's no snob. He champions popular musicians when he thinks credit is due. Ain't that peculiar? One of the greatest R&B records ever made by that superb vocalist Marvin Gaye. It's tremendously buoyant, beautifully arranged. There's good use of call and response patterns on it, and its swinging feeling makes me feel like dancing even at my advanced age.
know flowers can go through rain But how can love go through pain Ain't that peculiar Chocolate Genius's version is very good too. It's taken at a slower tempo and shows you another sensual side of the tune. Well, my father was a record collector. He collected uh, cantorial records, Jewish cantorial records. My father, you know, was sort of a, a student and connoisseur of it. That's, that's what he'd do all the time, was listen. When I went to sleep at night, I'd be hearing him playing his, you know, 78 records on the the record player. I didn't like it too much. It would, it, the music was very sad and it depressed me. However, now I like it an awful lot. Harvey might not always sound passionate, but he's always honest. Whether he's thinking about what it means to be a father or what kind of music is popular, or how his hometown is falling apart. WKSU in Cleveland put Harvey on the air as a commentator. Harvey won broadcasting awards. People think I'm some kind of heretic because I live in Cleveland, write about music, but still haven't visited the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Here's why. It's supposed to exemplify Cleveland, the comeback city, the city that bounced back after the Cuyahoga River caught fire. But Cleveland's not a comeback city. So what if there are more clubs downtown and in the flats? That's papering over the problems. As witnessed by our recent flooding downtown after a pipe burst, our city's infrastructure is falling apart. Unemployment and poverty... I would hope the performance of Cleveland school kids, which was the worst in Ohio, would mean more to local residents than a rock and roll hall of fame or a new football stadium. But it doesn't seem to. The boosterism is nauseating. A bunch of Northeast Ohioans get together to vote themselves a Rock Hall of Fame and act like it's equivalent to bringing the steel industry back here or improving the air quality. The ones in the suburbs couldn't care less about Cleveland except when they go there for a concert by Bruce Springsteen or some other rock icon. And how about the politics and PR over who gets voted into the Hall of Fame? While some great influential artists are routinely ignored. Ordinary writers and performers who appeal to the lowest common denominator make a lot of money. Harvey Picar's comics are like Harvey, a mix of gray everyday Cleveland and the turmoil in his own head. At one minute, he's walking the streets worrying about where he put a book or his keys. Then he's worrying about whether Isaac Bashevis Singer's lesser-known older brother Israel Joshua was actually a better writer, but neglected and forgotten like so many jazz musicians are. By the 1980s, American Splendor, which Harvey published himself, had developed a cult following in the underground comic scene. It even won an American Book Award. 
but it was lonely in Cleveland. Then, out of the blue, Harvey got a call from Joyce Brabner, who ran a comic book store in Wilmington, Delaware. One thing led to another. Paul Giamatti and Hope Davis play Harvey and Joyce in the film American Splendor. I'm a sometime activist, and I teach writing to prisoners. I try to help them build an interior life and make art out of their monotonous, suffocating routine. This sounds familiar. So you married or what? I'm divorced, thank God. Look, I think you and I got a lot in common, you know? How am I going to get you to come visit me in Cleveland? Cleveland? Yeah. You think that's a good idea? Yeah, it's a great idea. You know, you should meet me because I'm a great guy. I don't know. Where would I stay? I don't know. Uh, with me. You know, don't worry. I'm not going to put no moves on you. I'm not worried about that. Hold on. I just spilled my chamomile tea all over my... Yeah. So, what are you worried about, then? Well, it's the way, it's the way all of the different artists draw you. What? You know, I don't really know what to expect. Sometimes you look like a younger Brando, uh, but then the way Crumb draws you, you look like a hairy ape with all these <laughs> wavy, stinky lines undulating off your body. I, I don't really know what to expect. No, those are motion lines. I'm, I'm an active guy. Anyway, look, just come out here and... I will try to be anyone that you want me to be, okay? That's a dangerous offer. I'm a notorious reformer. Here's how Joyce Brabner remembers the day she and Harvey met. Joyce got deathly ill from their first meal together. Well, Hope Davis gets a lot of points for having the courage to be a woman smitten by love and food poisoning at the same time. Um, That was reasonably accurate. Yes, we did decide to get married uh, that day we met. I looked at Harvey. He had all that herbal tea that he didn't drink that he'd bought just for me, and he was mopping up the floor because I'd backed up the toilet. And uh, that was really all I needed to know about what kind of a guy he would be, what kind of a husband he'd be. Has he been the same kind of husband ever since? Still buys tea, still cleans up the bathroom, Um, I did think, as I say in the movie, that it'd be a little bit more fun or funny living together. And I hadn't really counted on Harvey's very, very dark side. But uh, I guess laughing at him takes the place of laughing with him. My sweet and lovely, lovey-dovey, lady be good. Like so many relationships, Joyce and Harvey wound up laughing at and with each other. Joyce became more than a chapter in his comics. She became a co-writer. Their most recent book together was Our Cancer Year. Harvey had worked with a whole range of people before, but this was the ultimate adjustment. For me, the, the most difficult thing was just, you know, working with somebody else. You know, I normally do my writing myself. Joyce and I had a number of disagreements about how to handle certain things, certain events and issues, and we had to iron them out. So, And we weren't really helped because we had um, an editor who kept stepping in and saying, 
we can't have the character Harvey Picard doing this or that, or at this time in his life he wouldn't be thinking this or that. Now, he was talking about a character that was being created, and we're talking about doing autobiography, the way things we remember stuff. And, you know, it gets a little tough when people ask you to measure up to um, a formula as though you actually were a comic book character. Soon a flesh-and-blood character entered the mix and the Picar family. Harvey and Joyce became guardians to Danielle Batone, the daughter of an artist who illustrated Harvey's stories. Danielle moved into their house and, inevitably, into their comics. You keep reading them backwards. I like reading them backwards. Is that one you? I keep telling you, all of them's me, man. You look like a monster. Yeah, well, you know, well, you see what you're going to look like. Me? Yeah, you're part of story, too, now. What story? story of my life. Oh. Yeah, I know I'm not as interesting as the Little Mermaid and all that, all that magical crap. I think I'm going to write my own comic. Oh, yeah? What about? I'm not sure yet, but not about you. I think you have enough already. But fame doesn't always pay the bills. In the late 1980s, Theaters were staging plays about his life, and Harvey did the talk show circuit, even the David Letterman show. But he still kept his job at the VA hospital in Cleveland. After 20 years of all sorts of people like Jonathan Demme trying to get a Harvey Picar film off the ground, HBO Films gave the green light to filmmakers Shari Springer-Berman and Robert Polcini for an unlikely and risky film about an unlikely and often unlikable celebrity. Ted Hope had been a fan of Picar's comics for years and a successful producer of films by Ang Lee, Edward Burns, and Todd Field. This film was sort of like Harvey's comics. It required its own special approach to storytelling, with Harvey seen from multiple perspectives. There was always this ongoing dialogue, I felt, in the comic books because, you know, it's the nature of a comic book. You're holding in your hands and you kind of flip through it and you see different versions of Harvey. Producer Ted Hope. And you're aware of that as, as you read the comic, that there are different interpretations. Along the way, it became clear to me that that was what had to be kind of front and center. What is the real Harvey? Um, and how do you do that? Like, can you even get to know yourself? How do we interpret th this real-life character? And um, while that was kind of struggling around, in, in, you know, bouncing around in my head, I went up and visited Harvey you know, shot some video on him. And it was there that I just kind of came to realize that absolutely you had to have the real Harvey in the movie. That was how it was going to work, that I wanted it to be a narrative, I wanted an actor to portray it, but part of it had to be, the real Harvey had to be in the film. On the screen, writer-directors Shari Springer-Berman and Robert Polcini rely on the same notion as the comics, different Harveys drawn by different artists. Harvey and Joyce are on the screen, along with an animated Harvey, and Harvey played by Paul Giamatti. Even Harvey the incurable Cleveland pessimist was okay with that. There was a moment uh, when we were shooting Harvey's apartment. Director Shari Springer-Berman. Harvey actually came onto a hot set. They were lighting the set, pulled some records off the uh, shelf, and said, man, i got to take these home. I want to listen to them. Fell asleep on the couch. 
And we had to like, you know, they're, they're putting a light up over his head and we had to wake him up so we could actually shoot. So that he was so comfortable on the set, I think was a tribute to how accurate it was. Yeah, well, it, it certainly caught the, the flavor of my apartments. The, you know, it was real jammed up with shelves full of records and junk laying all over the place. I'm not exactly proud of that, but I gotta own up to it. came pouring in at the Sundance and Cannes film festivals. Harvey's response, in case you haven't guessed, a comic book that he and Joyce are calling our movie year. But Harvey being Harvey, he's still waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah, so I guess comics brought me a lot. But don't think this is some sunny, happy ending. Every day is still a major struggle. Joyce and I fight like crazy. And she barely works. A kid's got ADD and is a real handful. My life is total chaos. And that's the genius of Harvey Peacock. He's turned total chaos, or Cleveland grayness, into American splendor. With a little luck, I'll get a window of good health between retiring and dying. The golden years, right? Who knows? Between my pension and the chunk of change I get for this film, I should be able to swing something. Sure, I'll lose the war eventually, but the goal is to win a few skirmishes along the way. Right? Harvey Picar, whose American Splendor is now an HBO film's fine line feature opening nationally in August and September. He's a jolly good fellow, which nobody can Um, Harvey, do you ever get writer's block? No. Because I write about what, you know, what I experience, and I haven't stopped experiencing things yet. Thanks to WCPN in Cleveland, WKSU in Kent, Ohio, and the Radio Foundation in New York. Production by Murray Street. The production team included Lauren Krenzel, David Darcy, Matthew Glass, David Gorin, Matthew Payne, and Steve Rath. Funds for production provided by HBO Films. I'm David Darcy.